Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Multi-Universe Podcast. I'm Gar Punnett. Uh, you might be noticing there's a little bit of a different uh, atmosphere around me. Uh, well, uh, due to the great complications of uh, COVID, um, I have some sort of sickness. I don't know whether I'm positive or negative yet, but I didn't want to go into the office. And so what you will find is we got to have a great conversation with me at home and actually my colleague, uh, Daniel Keetzer, who uh, got to join me from our studio, which as weird as it felt for myself, I hope it doesn't feel weird for you. Um, we got to have a great conversation about reuse, um, what he's focusing on, a little bit of his history in scaling reuse and finding creative solutions for materials, frankly, that you either see every day or don't even know that they're going to landfill, but have great um, immediate economic and social impacts on local communities. So I hope you enjoy a quick hit. We'll be back at it next week. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us, uh, Daniel, on the Multi-Useiverse podcast. Uh, we've known each other for some time now, um, and only t recently you joining the Reaply team. Uh, can you give everybody a little sense of like the depth of and breadth of things that you've sort of been thinking about and working on over your career, both in circular economy, but reuse and material reuse. I'd love for you to intro yourself to, to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, I'm Daniel Keetzer. Uh, I've been in the circular economy and sustainability world for, uh, for quite a while now. Um, you know, almost going on 10 plus years. Um, and, and, and yeah, I have a background in, reuse and recycling, uh, you know, looking at things from a market development perspective, looking at things from a corporate perspective and how uh, these sorts of principles and these sorts of actions and activities integrate into a corporate environment. Um, and then uh, working with, with weird stuff. Um, I, I kind of cut my teeth working on hard to recycle, you know, very, very challenging uh, uh, resources and byproducts and what a lot of people look at as waste materials and, and, and working with those to find uh, creative, new, high-value homes for, for, for those things. So, um, yeah, go ahead. I think, yeah, no, early early on when I was sort of getting to know you, um, I think you blew my mind with one example. Uh, and I, I know you'll remember this, and I'd love to hear another one, too, if you've got one uh, top of mind. But the example, this was back when I was I was learning more about um, material reuse and, and almost not even material reuse doesn't do it a service. I think waste doesn't do it a, a service either. It's, it's materials that people don't think of as having value and then finding more valuable out of those materials. And you can correct me if I'm getting the, uh, the details of the story wrong or the material wrong, but from what I remember, it was like oyster shells or like, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and I, I, so I swear I use that as a, as a teaching tool to others about like the unknown value um, of materials and how there's so much value in visibility of materials. Can you brief people on like what I'm talking about with the oyster shells? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have a, a, a personality trait maybe a personality disorder of, of not being able to like go, go gently into learning about new things. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, both on, um, in my personal life and in my career, but the, uh, yeah, the oyster shells, that, that was an interesting one. So 
Um, er, early on, one of the, the first projects I ran uh, was with the city of Austin called the Austin Materials Marketplace, a program for businesses in the city to, uh, to, to find new uses for, uh, for, for materials that, that they were being challenged by. Um, and we, uh, we, we were working with a, a company in Austin, Quality Seafood, for those from Austin, Texas. It's an iconic institution, a great restaurant. They also do a lot of uh, seafood distribution to, to restaurants in the city as well. Um, and they're one of the biggest oyster distributors uh, in the city of Austin. They service a lot of restaurants in the city with, with fresh oysters, uh, a lot of that coming up from, from the Gulf of Mexico. And when the city of Austin rolled out their uh, the new ordinance at the time around uh, diverting organics from landfill, uh, those oyster shells were a really big problem for quality uh, because in Austin, Texas, we're not a coastal environment. There's not a lot of known uses uh, for, for oyster shells in the area. So, uh, so yeah, I became, an, I became a little bit of an expert in, in oyster shells, and we, uh, we explored a lot of uh, kind of conventional and, and, and a whole lot of unconventional uses uh, for, uh, for those shells. Um, the, the conventional routes, we're, we're bringing a lot of those back down to the Gulf um, and then after they're uh, uh, appropriately sterilized, which just means leaving them out in the sun for, for a long amount of time, uh, they can go back into the water and they form uh, new oyster reef habitat. So they can be used in that kind of re uh, restoration motion. Um, but the logistics of taking oy just oyster shells, not the oysters, from Austin, Texas down to the Gulf, kind of pricey didn't quite work out as a backhaul scenario to put them on empty trucks and take them back down. So uh, we started looking for creative local solutions for that. Um, some of the stuff we explored, uh, oysters are a really great uh, feed uh, supplement for chickens. Um, I have backyard chickens, and I buy crushed oyster shells that, that they eat. Um, but, uh, but we couldn't find, at the time, someone that was interested in crushing them up to getting them into the, the right size that, that chickens could consume. So we kind of crossed that off the, the list. Uh, we looked at some really creative landscaping applications for them. Uh, I did a, a, a pilot project with a local farm where I loaded up like you know, as many boxes of, of oyster shells as, as could fit in the back of my tiny pickup truck at the time. And, uh, and and chucked them out to a local farm. We used them in a couple of landscaping projects. They looked really cool. Uh, I don't know that the like widespread applicability of that is possible, and it's definitely not possible for all situations because they smell something fierce for about two weeks. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and you know, so you probably wouldn't want that around your house. Your your neighbors wouldn't be too happy. Um, we uh, we had a couple folks that used them to fill potholes. And uh, in, in kind of as that road-based material, and they work really well because they don't slide around or move around too much. Um, so, so yeah, we we just went we went down the rabbit hole and finding finding new uses for this stuff, um, and uh, and lined up a couple couple of cool options. But uh, but yeah, oyster shells were just the tip of the iceberg for looking at yeah how we how we can find new uses for strange and unusual things out there. Yeah, and I think that was always the key that stuck with me is is how we are the status quo. I think of a lot of systems that we deal with in materials or um, or even some of the the 
more uh, valuable assets that we deal with that might be office infrastructure or IT equipment or, or research equipment that Reaply deals with. But it, it often comes down to visibility and that the options only become clearer and there are only secondary or sort of tertiary life cycle uses for these items. Once you have a broader audience of which you can broadcast um, these, these materials and that someone like you who's creative or someone else in the community who sees potential um, can actually put that to use and can say, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity. It's almost an entrepreneurial opportunity where you're saying, I can save money if I just use this material that nobody wants. Do you have other examples for that for, for listeners on, on things that you've seen or examples that you've seen on how, why it's so important to actually rely on visibility rather than just putting something in landfill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visibility, uh, you know, it, it changes the game. You know, there, there's a lot of, of incredibly motivated people out there that want to be working on these issues that have very unique capabilities, whether that's as an individual or at their business. Um, and, and they really just need that creative spark. They need to see the, they, they need to see what's there to be able to think about what it can be. Um, uh, another really, really fun example of that. I, uh, I, I was working with a couple of companies on unleaded CRT glass, um, so which is a, a, a product from a lot of electronics recycling processes, CRT monitors, the big, like, old 50 pound giant monitors um the yeah there's still a, a good number of them out there and companies are still processing them at a pretty good rate uh, and probably will be for the next five or so years um isn't yeah. that such a message in of itself where uh -huh. it's like we're still processing that like, yeah exactly. there's still left to process that isn't uh you know 40 50 year old technology exactly exactly um, and, uh, and, and so we were, we were working with these companies trying to find some new creative end markets for, for, for this, uh, unleaded CRT glass. There's still a leaded component that can be a little difficult to handle. Um, but the unleaded stuff, super clean, really uniform. It's a really nice, high quality feedstock. Um, and then at the same time, I was working with a couple of ceramic tile manufacturers down in Tennessee, uh, who were looking to source more recycled content to pull into their, their ceramic tiles. Um, and that, that was uh, to, to me and, and still to this day, one of my favorite examples of two organizations that would never contact one another in, 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 a, in, you know, in, in today's world, you know, they wouldn't be going to the same conferences. They wouldn't be, you know, bumping into each other in the, in, in the same expo hall, uh, ever. Um, but, uh, yeah, but through some of the work that, that I was doing, some of the stuff that we were leading in the space to, to, you know, create some of those new, those new connections, um, they found one another and, you know, and, and now they've, uh, they've gotten a astronomical amount of that CRT glass into tiles, um, which is super, super cool. Uh, so, so yeah, it's stuff like that, that again, without that initial visibility, without that initial effort to just see what's possible out there, um, that, that would have, that would have never happened. What does it take, you know, we, we, well, we focus on this a lot, um, or we, we are going to be focusing on this more and more at Reaply of this end market development, um, secondary market development, finding use that is beyond the obvious. Um, you've done a lot of that. Um, and what does that take in a community? Um, what, you know, if we're, if we're building a roadmap for others who might be listening, um, 
and who are curious about that, what does that take for somebody in the community uh, from a, a planner to someone who's working in economic development? What have you seen that's really caught uh, traction at, at some of these communities? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, where, where I, where, where my role you know, has been for, for quite a while is on that kind of initial outreach engagement visibility piece. So getting as many businesses and organizations involved as possible, getting them engaged where they're open and, and able to share information about what they might have, open and able to share information around what sorts of capabilities and what sorts of manufacturing processes they're working with. Um, and, and really starting to kind of map that out from a systems approach so you can see what's coming out, what could go in. Um, and, and it's kind of in that motion that I think a lot of the gaps start to emerge. Um, and, and that's where uh, other stakeholders, whether that's local government, whether that's academic institutions, you know, whatever that needs to be, as those gaps start to emerge, I think there's some really interesting uh, and, and very creative ways to, to, to engage. Um, you know, whether that's through supporting, funding, running these sorts of entrepreneurship programs that uh, are, are getting small businesses thinking very creatively about this, uh, whether it's looking at those gaps and saying these particular groups have been historically excluded from these sorts of conversations and we need to yes. find really creative ways of, uh, of bringing them in and engaging them. Uh, you know, what, it, it looks different in every community that I've done work in, but um, but starting with some data, starting with some mapping, uh, really lets the rest of that, that flow really easily. That's great to hear. And I think that's, you know, we, we often, <clears throat> we find ourselves in those conversations where, um, these are all passionate organizations, passionate individuals, um, who can really, uh, come to be collaboratively focusing on how to build a marketplace, how to build a, a, an organization that, or, or at least a platform in which more people can be joining um, and finding those solutions amongst one another. Um, that's ultimately too what I hope this, this podcast can offer. Um, and, and we're going to be focusing more on that is how do we start collecting voices and connecting more dots? Um, what advice do you have though for someone who's, who's trying to find that community um, or trying to be more plugged in? Um, is it to go to your local ceramics processor and try to talk more there? Or is it to go and talk to economic development? Like what can you piece together for someone who's like, man, I'm really interested in this. I just don't know where to start. Like I need some sort of, what can you put down in terms of you should go down this rabbit hole and, for that person? Yeah. 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 Um, gosh, that, that is a, that is a great, great question. Um, you know, and, I, so, so one of, one of the absolute favorite things that, that I, I love in, yeah, in, in this, in this space and working in this position, uh, it, it are, are talking to the, the crazy innovative people out there that are really pushing new ideas and really trying to new, do new, totally innovative, totally off the wall things with, with materials. Um, and, um, and a lot of the times it's those, it's those wild, very innovative, maybe kind of risky uh, entrepreneurs that are, are really changing the game and, and really opening up new markets for, for, for stuff. Um, and, you know, and I think you have, 
it, that's on us to find those voices and to, to amplify those voices and you know, to, to share that work. Um, and, uh, and then at the same time, you know, seeking out those venues, whether it's folks like us or whether it's, um, you know, whether it's community programs, whether it's getting involved with city programming that's out there, um, you know, to, to, to find those venues to, to share that. But, uh, but I think there's a hunger out there to find more people that are operating in that space, to find more content, to find more stories like that. Uh, because that's really, I think that's really what it's going to take to start shifting the, um, to, to, to start changing the game from where we are today to where we want to be in the future. Yeah, I, I'm always thinking about <clears throat> what reuse looks like to others. Um, for so long for myself personally, uh, reuse simply meant, oh, as a, as a kid, I had to get used to the idea of goodwill. Like that was it. And it was like, oh yeah, yeah, that will, that, that makes sense. That'll solve the problem. But then as you start to dig more and more, then it becomes, okay, uh, actually there's more to this um, in terms of different material streams, different types of assets, whether it's uh, table legs from, a, you know, 500 tables that don't need their legs anymore for some reason. I mean, there, there are crazy stories like that that you always see and I think people, it gets a bad rap sometimes for uh, people saying like, oh, it's, it's too messy. It's too incongruent. It, it, it won't work at scale. Mm-hmm. And I think what that's so easy to point out, but a lot of what I've been thinking about lately is, is saying, well, it, nothing works at scale until you've ironed out some of those kinks or, or ironed out some of the, um, the messiness of the, uh, of the problem itself, which is we don't have a system built to mm-hmm, solve mm-hmm. this problem. And the only, the only solution that we've really uh, created is probably one of the best inventions of all time. Uh, you can put it next to the internet and you can put it next to flipping on a switch to getting light, but it's putting, it's being able to reach out your hand and drop something in a trash can. And it's all of a sudden it's gone from your life. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. the system we're trying to, to change. Um, so of course it's going to get messy. Um, of course it's hard. Um, and so that's what I'm always, and and it it inspires, it's so inspiring to me to see those entrepreneurs that you mentioned that see, um, and I'm trying to think of, uh, of some entrepreneurs that you've put me in touch with before, but that see, um, one comes to mind of, uh, biochar. Um, if you'll remember that conversation, um, where, you know, if somebody realized biochar, which is for anybody who's listening, um, and I don't want to butcher this, but it, it's fairly scientific and sort of not, is uh, the properties that uh, is, uh, are available to essentially anything that you've, that organic material you, that you've burned that have certain maybe uh, purifying properties or, or, or clarifying properties to waste. Uh, what can you help me with in explaining that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, biochar would processed, heated at a very high temperature, uh, in a specialized environment that pulls uh, certain combustibles away and leaves uh, leaves others there in place, um, and uh, and and it's a it's a fascinating process. It's also a fascinating product, um, and and unlocks a lot of the potential for wood waste and what uh, what, what folks would traditionally consider waste, and makes that into a very usable new 
product. Um, yeah, obviously you can use it as charcoal if, if, yeah, if that's if that's what you need to do. Um, but biochar is great for as a soil amendment. Um, it's it's good for pulling certain uh, toxic materials out of uh, out of land. Um, it does all sorts of cool things. It uh, does, yeah, and and it's that creativity to using it. And I was trying to remember because my first engagement with biochar, actually, now that I even remember, it wasn't even with uh, bundling it. The entrepreneur I was speaking about earlier would bundle it and use it in those applica- applica- uh, applications a little bit of purifying, purifying whatever uh-huh. solution or, or water or whatever. I was actually first uh, uh, introduced to biochar through uh, pea cycling. Um, which I did a, I did a documentary on how um, Arizona State University researchers are looking more and more at how you can recycle urine in, uh, in frankly, long-distance space travel. Uh-huh. Um, and so it was a fascinating thing where I was like, wait a second, not only did I know, not know about biochar, which was, again, more of an introduction to how you can reuse materials if you process them appropriately, but also this just is this idea, frankly, of, uh, recycling urine um, for plant growth or for human consumption. And so it was a fascinating, again, take on, oh, this is how we can rethink materials. And we're going to need to constantly do this with every type of skew, every type of uh, thing that we create. There's There's got to be a, a, a handful of solutions for that, uh, whatever we create, to turn it into something new that's further useful but not being put in landfill. Exactly, exactly. Um, and yeah, and 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 biochar is also really cool because yeah, at the industrial scale, when you're you know when you're when you're making incredibly large quantities of this, taking in incredibly large quantities of of wood products to process, the the end market's piece of that becomes so so important to the overall business model. And without strength in the end markets, without that pull to bring this stuff through the system, the model shuts down. It it, it just doesn't work. Um, and yeah, and, and I, I think in, in some regions, that's been a very kind of classical case of the end markets not supporting the process um, and, and the end markets just not being there for the, the, the process to work long term. Um, and yeah, so that's, uh, again, one of the, you know, one of the challenges and also one of the really exciting opportunities of working in this, uh, you know, in this space is that. You know, we get to go out and be and, and kind of evangelize some of these materials and some of these things, um, but um, but without that demand, the the system doesn't work. Yeah, and that's it's the demand that I again we are both probably most obsessed with, which is mm-hmm. establishing because that's how the whole system works. Um, that's how the economics work. That's how the impact then it gets driven. That's how we can then fully more reduce carbon um, consumption. What experience have you had, or or is there anything that come to mind if, if there's somebody listening on how we can creatively think about something at an industrial level, um, where it's not quite the restaurant level, um, but it might be a manufacturer of a product or someone who's trying to connect dots at their organization, but something that might have a, a quite a significant footprint. Um, Interesting. Can you, can you elaborate a little more on the, uh, yeah, on the question? Yeah, absolutely. What I'm thinking of too is we had some experiences um, where we were talking more and more about how industry can come to the table, I guess, is what I'm getting at, which is um, I'm thinking of uh, there was a um, 
a, uh, a, a, a carton recycler actually that comes to mind. Um, where how can, where someone is, is actively taking on re- using recyclable materials um, for uh, manufacturing tissue paper, um, but there's, there are byproducts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess the root of my question is, is almost actually, how does someone come, you know, what advice would you have for someone who uh, is coming out of an industrial level impact? Mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. How do they come to Reapley? How do they go to another organization without shame? Um, and I think that's what I so respond to sometimes is, is people are like, oh, I have this problem. It's so embarrassing that my organization has this problem. And I guess yeah, what I can yeah, do yeah. is say like, no, no, no. Every organization has this problem. Reapley has this problem. There are things that we do that we don't know that we're polluting in some way. And, and, mm-hmm. and once you start to become more active and discover that, then you're like, oh, wait, we can fix that. Um, but it's that it's that first step of saying like this is a thing we want to solve. How do you advise people to come forward on that? How can how can we help people in that way come forward to us or come forward to others to say this is a problem I want to solve. I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm bringing this to the community yeah, because I want yeah. to do this in a partnership. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, you know, I I mean we're we're all in this together at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's not it's not like we you know we don't share landfills it's not like we don't share the same negative impacts that industrial activity has or our personal activity has um yeah and 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 we buy and we buy the products you know we're we're a part of the system as much as anybody else and um you you know and and i think starting to to realize that also is a, a a really nice transition and translation to we also all have a shared responsibility to, to, to solve the problems that we're creating together. Um, and, you know, so, so I think it, it, it's okay. It, it, you know, we know that we know there's problems out there and we know that there's problems out there that, that, that can be solved. Um, you know, let's, let, let, let's get it on the table and see, and, and see what we can do there. Um, yeah. I, I think a really nice kind of way to, to tiptoe into that too Um is it, it doesn't have to start with the biggest headache. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of the times, a lot of the stuff that, that, that I would, that, you know, that I was working with, uh, in my past role and a little bit in this role as well. Um, it, it's the, it's the hardest of the hard, you know, it's the hardest problem that somebody has to solve. And yeah. And, and, and they, 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 they come to us expecting all the, you know, all the answers. And, um, and that's tough. Like that, that's not a, that's not an easy way to, to begin a relationship with the biggest, with the biggest mountain to climb. Um, but you know, in, in that, in that same kind of motion, there's, I, I think there's still a lot that can be done with stuff that you might have a solution for today. I think there's still a lot that can be done to elevate the quality of that solution. Uh, you know, we talk about highest and best use, like that really is, you know, in almost every case, it's an endless journey. You can always do something better. You can always go higher. You can always go better. Um, and, you know, so so maybe as one piece of advice, don't start with the absolute hardest problem to solve. Uh, let's start with something that might be be easier to tackle, that might have intrinsic properties in the material that uh, make it easier to look at, uh, you know, how we bump that up into a, a, a repair, a remanufacturing, 
a pure reuse? Um, you know, how do we start bumping those things up the, the value chain? Um, not just the one thing that you're, that you're struggling the most with. Yeah. And, and that speaks to, I think, to what we always find it working at Reaply, which is um, when we get to start having more of these conversations, we always uncover more stuff that we can work on together. Um, and that might be both a benefit and something that's kind of scary is to, you know, to, to jump into something knowing, okay, it's like, I feel like it's like going to the dentist or something where you're like, oh, my tooth hurts, but it's COVID and I haven't been to the dentist in two years. Um, I, and I know I need to do this, but they're probably going to find some other stuff. I think it's, it's very similar in that capacity where, yeah, it, we're going to find a lot more things um, and, and we're going to learn a lot more together, uh, but it can just start the ball. Um, and you just kind of keep the ball rolling and then it will just get easier and easier to solve more of those problems. Exactly. At the end of the day, circular economy is about efficiency. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to build is, is a more efficient economy, a more efficient organization, something that allows more people to share more of the resources they're putting out into the world um, and then do more of that and get more economic utility out of those resources. Exactly. Um, and I think fundamentally that's what's most exciting about what we are able to to offer and bring to the table. Um, well, I so appreciate you taking the time um, on, on chatting with us a little bit more about this. Um, if there was anything that um, was of interest to anybody listening, please feel free to reach out to Daniel or myself again on, on LinkedIn. Um, and we are happy to chat further. Uh, this is an exciting time for reuse. Um, we are here to help and, and try to guide the, the conversation, even if we don't have the answers, or even just try to guide the conversation with you if we don't have the answers. So, uh, but thank you so much, Daniel. Um, I will see you in the office uh, tomorrow. Awesome. Thanks, Garrett.